Hey, this is Brandon Emma Richardson, and we are the pastors here at Slate Church based in Waterloo, Ontario, and this is our Sunday podcast. We really hope this message inspires you to lean into all that God has for you. If you would like to get connected with us, follow us on social media or go to slatechurch.com. And hey, it helps us a lot if you would rate, review, subscribe, and share this podcast. Join us for today's message. Well, thank you to Pastor Brandon for introducing this new series, Death to Flesh. You know, I think that the, the chair suited him. The only, the only thing I really noticed, though, was afterwards they didn't have to adjust the height of the camera at all compared to him sitting and me standing. I mean, I'm wearing heels and I still, I don't know. I'm just short. It's okay. I can embrace it. But hey, I am excited for this new series. I think it's going to be really great as we go through these seven deadly sins and we get to take a bit of a look on the internal parts of us that we need to release to God and allow God to take over and work in us. And I'm excited to start this off with pride. You know, pride is something that so many of us struggle with. And the sneaky thing about it is that we can become so unaware that it is even in us. We start to re- forget that, that the things that we're looking at, this focus on ourselves that runs so rampant in the world around us is actually counter to what God would intend for us. You know, I'm going to pray and then we're going to jump right in. Jesus, I thank you that we get to gather together, that we get to start this new series. And I pray all throughout it, we would just uh, approach it with an openness, uh, a willingness to do a a look internally, and that Holy Spirit, you would just prompt us in the things that we need to shift and change and, and allow you just to come into. So I pray you would speak through me today. In your name, amen. Amen. Well, listen, I'm gonna jump right into Daniel chapter four. Okay, Daniel chapter four, verse 29, verse 30. We're talking here King Nebuchadnezzar, all right? He said, he was on his roof, he was walking around, and this is what he says. Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? If I have ever heard a prideful statement, that is it. Is this not the great Babylon that I have built for my majesty with my power? It is all about him. And you know, we are going to settle in today in the first four chapters of Daniel, and we're going to look at this King Nebuchadnezzar. You know, I I don't know if you can say that. If you're a watch party, turn to the person beside you, say King Nebuchadnezzar. If you're watching online, you can throw that in the chat and see what you can do with the spelling of that one. Don't look it up. King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon. And we're going to go through chapters 1 through 4 and get a real full picture of who he was, his character, and how we can understand ourselves a little bit more through this person of King Nebuchadnezzar. So where do we find ourselves? Daniel chapter 1. You see, there's this exile that has taken place. So Babylon, this great nation at the time has gone and brought Israel, the Israelites into exile. And this is Babylonian exile is what it's called. And all of these Israelites, thousands, all of them have come over and moved into Babylon. And what we see in chapter one taking place is King Nebuchadnezzar basically goes through and he says, all right, I want you to pick out the best looking the, the, the strongest, the most capable, those with no physical defects, the wisest, the, the, the ones that can learn on the fly the best. 
out of all of the men that came over, I want you to pick these ones out, and we're going to take these guys and train them for the next three years so that they can be in my service, so that they can serve me. And amongst that group, we see Daniel, we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, amongst others. And maybe you've heard of these names before. Maybe you have heard stories surrounding these people within Scripture. And so these guys have come in, and they are being trained, and and we see something different taking place here that as the king is saying, hey, here's some wine from my table, here's some food from my table, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are saying, no, like, we're not going to take that. What's going on here? You see, some of the Israelites that came over just totally came up against uh, the Babylonian Empire and were like, we are coming up against it. Some other ones completely acclimatized to it and took on everything of the Babylonians. And in Jeremiah, we see that the advice given is actually that the Israelites would come in and that they would actually pray for the Babylonians, that they would actually care for the Babylonians, but to a point, that there would be a line there. And we see Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego coming up against that time and time again throughout this book, where they draw a line and they say, that's too far. And so the, the guards and the, the people training them say, like, what are you talking about? You have to eat. Like, you've got to, you can't let these other guys get ahead of you in strength. You're going to get weak, all of these sorts of things. And we see Daniel say, okay, come back in a couple weeks, and I guarantee you we will be stronger than these other men because we are not going to defile our God. We are not going to go against our true God. And sure enough, they come back, and they are stronger, and they are more astound. We see this taking place in chapter 1. We head into chapter 2, and King Nebuchadnezzar, the same guy that wants the best service, the best people around him, he has this wild dream. And he calls these astrologers and he calls these magicians and enchanters around him, these wise people of this time, and says, hey, I want you to interpret this dream for me. And not only do I want you to interpret this dream, but to make sure that you're not just making something up. I mean, it's easy to interpret dreams, all right? You can tell me your dream and I could give you some sort of explanation for it pretty simply. And I don't know, you could choose to believe me or not. King Nebuchadnezzar is like, I want to know for sure that this is the true meaning. So not only do I want you to interpret the dream, I want you to tell me what the dream was. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we can interpret the dream, no problem. But could you just first tell me what the dream was? And he's like, no, that's the point. You tell me what the dream was. And these guys start freaking out, okay? The astrologers answered the king, chapter 2, verse 10. There is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. They're like, there is no way. You are crazy. This is too much. This is not. And King Nebuchadnezzar freaks out back on them. He says, okay, if you can't do this, he just goes into a rage. He goes into a fit. He says, I'm going to kill every wise man in all of Babylon. <laughs> like, this is insane. He's going to kill everybody. These guys have just had years of training. They're the most handsome. They're the most astute. They're the quickest learners. And he's like, forget it. If you can't do this, you're all being executed. You're all dead. Enter in Daniel. Daniel has this gift of interpretation. He can interpret dreams. He has these gifts from God, the one true God that he continues to serve. And he's like, all right, I can interpret this. And he runs back to his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and says, we got to pray for mercy. We got to pray that God would deliver here, or we are as good as dead. We need to get on our knees and pray for this. And God delivers later that night. He not only lets Daniel know what the interpretation of the dream was, he actually lets him know what the dream was altogether. 
And he goes and he interprets this dream and he says, this is the God Almighty that has told me this. And when King Nebuchadnezzar hears this and gains understanding of the dreams, he fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering of incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Oh my God. King Nebuchadnezzar is having a change of heart here. Something is switching around. Something is turning around. He is acknowledging and recognizing Daniel's God, our God, as the one true God. But then we see this kind of irony take place as we enter into chapter 3. Because before we know it, you can't even blink fast enough. And he is, he is putting together a gold statue, this massive statue, and expecting that when the music plays, that everybody would bow down and worship it. What is going on here? King Nebuchadnezzar. And we see these astrologers come and they say, listen, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they are not bowing down when, when the music plays. And he goes and he's like, what is this about? And he goes to throw them into a fiery furnace. Maybe you've heard this story before. But he gives them a chance. He's like, you got to bow down. He's promoted these guys since they're friends with Daniel. And you got to bow down. They're like, we will not bow down. And once again, King Nebuchadnezzar loses his mind. We see some anger issues here. And he said, if that's the case, we're going to make it seven times hotter. And you are going to perish. So they go in and they're joined by a fourth, right? They're joined by another in the fire in this story. And King Nebuchadnezzar is just amazed by this. And he's unsure what in the world. And again, he looks and says, well, this must be the true God. Because they come out and their clothes are not even singed. We go into chapter 4, and we'll wrap it up in this space before we dig into these pieces. And King Nebuchadnezzar has another dream. All right, this guy has some intense dreams. He's pretty disturbed by it. And once again, enter in Daniel. And Daniel interprets the dream for him, but it is not a good look. It is not a good dream. The, the outcome of it is that he is going to be driven out of his position. And he is going to go out into the wilderness and lose his sanity and be like the ox and eating grass from the field and be like a wild animal and a wild beast. And then we end up where we started here. Chapter 4, verse 29, just 12 months later. So this interpretation comes 12 months later. As the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory my majesty. Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You know, I think it's easy to see as we go through these chapters and as we get this synopsis and overview of these first four chapters of Daniel, we can see the pride that is seeping through King Nebuchadnezzar. We can see it in every avenue of his life. And it becomes so obvious when we look at it from this extent and from this viewpoint. And similarly, in our own lives, if we were to maybe look at an overview or be able to look in hindsight, we can see pride seeping through in our lives in different spaces. But when you are in it, sometimes it's easy to miss. When you're in it, sometimes it's harder to recognize in yourself. And I want to go through some of the things that we can see in King Nebuchadnezzar and how pride affects us and what our flesh says when we are struggling with pride. See, the first thing is this. Pride often compensates for insecurity. Wow. It's this compensation. 
See, when you're experiencing pride, the worst thing that could happen is to be seen as wrong or to be seen as weak. Because we have to all of a sudden start keeping up this appearance. We have to start keeping up this place because if we were to be vulnerable or we were to be weak or we were to be seen as wrong or we were to be seen as less than, that is so detrimental to us. That is so problematic for us. So pride is this compensation that takes place. We can't allow someone to see that maybe we're insecure. We can't allow someone to see our faults because what would they say? What would they think? We would be ostracized. We would be on the out. What about my character? What about my position? Position. What about how people see me or think about me? I've got to have it all together. And pride compensates for this. And it becomes this cycle of defensiveness and anger. Pride, pride all of a sudden gets into this place of going, okay, well, I, I, I can't receive that. I can't take that. I can't look at that. I can't think about that. And if you push that at me, I'm going to get angry about it. I'm going to get defensive about it. You see, anger is often a secondary emotion to fear and insecurity. We're we're having these outbursts. That's oftentimes the root of it. You see, King Nebuchadnezzar only had the most handsome, the most smart, the most interesting, the most adept, the most uh, uh, wise guys around him because he was compensating for something. He wanted to make sure that the people that looked, that were all around him, that the people that were serving him were the best of the best of the best so that he could be seen as the best of the best of the best. He's compensating here for something going on in his life. And then we see the reaction back against it, the anger that comes from King Nebuchadnezzar time and time again. But right off the top, this anger, when the astrologers say, we can't interpret this dream, what are you talking about? You're crazy. He goes, I don't care that you've trained for three years. I don't care that you're the best of the best. I don't care what I said before. Now I'm mad you are all going to die. Because all of a sudden, there is this spot of weakness that seems to be revealed in him. He's going, I have to drive it so far forward. I have to die on this hill. I have to make sure that everybody knows what kind of power I have. And maybe if you're finding yourself in a place of defensiveness or in a place of compensating for some sort of insecurity or just pushing it and pushing it and pushing it, and you can't be vulnerable. I wonder if there's some pride in your life. The second thing is this, pride resurfaces if it's not cut at the root. You know, Brandon and I moved into a new house in November and I was like, oh, this is great. There's like no, not many gardens at this house at all. Like there's, no, there's not really any gardens. It's going to be nice. Don't have to take care of nearly as much. And then the snow melted. And I was like, wait a minute. Where did all of these gardens come from? Like they are everywhere. And we don't have too many like flowering plants in these gardens. We have a lot of bushes in the gardens. But how many of us know that where there are gardens, there are weeds, right? So Brandon and I were gardening the other week and we were outside and our daughter Kensington was out there with me and her and I were down and we were weeding the garden. We were getting the weeds. And all of a sudden I look over and she's just got this pile of like leaves beside her. I'm like, oh no, this is not good. This is bad because I know that I will be back out here in two weeks from now pulling those same weeds because she is just getting what is on the surface off. And so I had to show her, okay, we've got to actually dig down here. We've got to pull this out a little bit further if I'm not going to be repeating this cycle over and over and over again. You see, if you only take out what you see on the surface, it's going to regrow. It's going to show up again. It's going to resurface once again. 
all of a sudden we have King Nebuchadnezzar who in chapter two, we're like, he's had this change of heart. Things seem to be good. He's acknowledging and recognizing Daniel's God is the one true God because he got this interpretation of the dream. He had this experience. This is fantastic. And then just a few verses later in chapter three, he is putting up this gold statue and saying, everybody bow down to this random God that he's just made. What is going on here? See, the pride that he is experiencing is deeply rooted and taking it off at the surface, having an experience, having a moment of acknowledgement doesn't get to the root. You see, we have to be careful with pride. And when we see things repeating in our lives or situations repeating or the same relationship struggles or the same difficulties at work or the same reviews happening or the same feelings and thoughts and negativity towards other people, I wonder if it's actually a pride issue. If for a moment, maybe you heard a message that really struck you or you got some feedback from somebody that really hit in the right spot and you're going, okay, I don't want to deal with this anymore. But I wonder if it's coming back up next week or next month or next year, if you didn't quite get to the root of the pride issue. Pride will always resurface if it's not taken out at the root. Third thing is pride desires approval. Pride desires approval. I need to know that people validate me, that people agree with me, that people think well of me. You see, if someone goes to a place where they are suggesting something that benefits us, someone who is dealing with pride is all about hearing it. Hey, that benefits me. That's good for me. I am for that. How can I make more money? How can I get a bigger house? How can I lose more weight? How can I accumulate all of these things? How can I succeed? How can I gain more power? How can I have more influence? The world around us is pushing these things at us, left, right, and center. And it's so easy to buy into it. On the flip side, when someone comes against us or someone has a suggestion or feedback, or, or wants to say that maybe we are wrong or a little bit off here, yeah. well, they're a terrible person, okay. right? All of a sudden we take this puffed up posture and we're pointing our finger and we're blaming other people and we're, we're saying, well, they're messed up. Well, they don't know what they're talking about. Well, they actually have an issue. Have you seen what's going on in them? There is this defensive nature, this pointing the finger, this blaming that takes place because we desire approval. Yeah. I wonder if you have any yeah friends, as I like to call them. Yeah friends are people that are around you that just agree with you because maybe they're afraid of what's going to happen if they don't, right? So these are the people where you're saying, oh, my boss is the worst. And they're going, yeah, 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 he's terrible. He's the worst. <laughs> you know, that part, I can't believe that my husband said that to me. You know, he just, he, if he would just figure some stuff out, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, what a jerk. He's a... <laughs> These yeah friends, if you've got a lot of yeah friends around you, I wonder if maybe there's some pride in you that they don't feel like they can actually point something out in you. The astrologers come forward. They denounce the Jews. And we know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, no way, we are not bowing down. We are not serving this God. And he gets so enraged that someone would stand against his orders that he makes it seven times hotter. He wants the approval. Pride wants the approval desperately and totally pushes away and blames those who don't. And the fourth thing is that pride ignores God. You see, he has an intense dream that Daniel interprets that he will be rejected. He will be like a wild animal. And instead of self-reflection, repentance, awareness, we find him a year later strutting about the roof of his palace, 
looking over Babylon and saying, look at my kingdom. Look at what I built. Look at what I have. Look at what I've done. Is this not the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? He completely ignores God. You know, there's a lot within scripture that teaches us about character and how we live and how we ought to serve God and see God and all these sorts of things. And yet so many of us ignore it. So many of us deal with the same struggles over and over and over again. So many of us have difficulty and we, we just want to argue it so that it goes our way. And we just want to look at it from another angle. And we just want to discount this or leave that out or maybe not pick up the Bible altogether. And we find ourselves saying, well, look at how great I am. Look what I can do. Look at, look at me. And it's amazing because just like that, God speaks and his royal authority is taken away. He goes and is like a wild animal. He loses all rationale. He is driven out. So what can we do about this? You know, at the end of King Nebuchadnezzar's story, his sanity is actually restored. But his posture is completely different. He goes from this place, even when he starts to acknowledge God in these earlier places, and it's only on the surface level, he goes from a place of this domineering, overarching, contempt uh, uh, posture over other people, this puffed up place of pride, to this place where he is upward looking, that he is lifting his eyes, that he is recognizing that it is not about him, but about God. We see this in chapter 4 at the end of it. At the t same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, get this, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. This is a position of surrender. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. You know, you are not too far gone in order to be humbled, and humility is the antidote to pride. We can see this in the end with King Nebuchadnezzar, but we can see this all throughout when it comes to Daniel. You see, Daniel, on the flip side, he understands who's in charge. He defends God. He, he defers to him. He serves him. He stands up for what is right. He's not eating and drinking from the king's table because it, it was counter to what God would want for him. He lets others in. Pride says, you got to do it alone. Humility says, let other people in. He runs to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and says, we need to pray for mercy. He doesn't try to tackle it on his own. He heads straight over there. He seeks God earnestly. He recognizes he can't do it on his own. He can't make it up. And he stays the course. You see, after King Nebuchadnezzar goes, his son rises up and it's, it's corrupt. And in chapter 6, Daniel's thrown into a den of lions and he stays the course. The humility stays. You see, when we choose humility in the small things, we begin to surrender in the large things. When we operate in pride over the small things, we begin to operate and become desperate for control in the larger things. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 11:2: when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. Isn't this so true? That as we seek out pride and we seek puffing up ourselves, it always ends in destruction. It always ends in disgrace. See, with pride, we need to compensate for our emptiness. 
We need to, to compensate for the things in our lives. We need to compensate for our relationships. We need to compensate for our work. We need to compensate for the issues that we have. We need to compensate for our thought life. We need to compensate for other areas of sin in us. And we need to constantly pretend that they're not there because what if we get torn down by it? We need to have a, a defamation of other people and a lack of recognition of God. It takes away vulnerability and humility in us. We have to be willing to see beyond this. In order to actually walk in the freedom that God has for us, we need to see beyond the worldly cry that you deserve it, that you are this, you are that, you are the best, you are puffed up, you are an influencer, you are, you are amazing. And we need to begin to acknowledge our brokenness, our sinfulness, and God's mercy in it all. That's how we actually get fulfillment. That's how we actually see that through. It's not a posture of overbearing, but a posture of surrender. You know, we often, well, every single week, really, we give an opportunity for people who don't know Jesus to, to follow him and to make a decision to follow him. And this week's no different. You know, maybe you've been struggling with different things in your life. Maybe you, you've never even heard the word sin before. Maybe you, you're brand new to all of this. Or maybe you've been coming to Slate Church for a while. And you just haven't made this personal yet. This decision to follow Jesus and recognize that, hey, without him, we're going to struggle. We're going to wrestle. And it always comes up, whether here or eternally. But with him, we actually get to walk in freedom. And all it takes is acknowledging and recognizing that Jesus is who he says he is. He died for our sins. He rose again. And we can have free and eternal life with him. So if that's you today, just as an outward symbol of an inward decision, I want to encourage you to just raise your hand wherever you are. If you're watching online, you can just click uh, raise a hand right there in the chat. And I just really want to pray for you right now. Jesus, I thank you for every decision being made. I thank you for every choice being made to turn towards you, to recognize that we can't do it in ourselves. Right now, we repent of our sin, and we thank you that you forgive us, that you came and died and rose again. We praise you that people are coming home and are part of the family of God right now. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. And hey, listen, if you've been struggling with pride in your life, Maybe it's just come to your attention right now as you've been hearing this. Maybe you need to reflect a little bit on what's been going on. And you just need to lay it down and set it aside. I want to pray for you wherever you are. And you know what? I'm going to actually ask you to raise a hand because I feel like that is a first step to overcoming pride in your life wherever you are. God, I thank you that we don't have to go at this alone that we don't have to muster up some sort of humility inside of ourselves, but we can actually surrender to you. We can acknowledge you. We can recognize you in our lives. So right now, we pray against pride. We pray against all that it brings, the defensiveness, the anger, the, the deep-rooted issues, the need for approval and, and, and lack of deep relationship and all of those things that come with it. God, today we release it to you. We pray that we would be humbled. We recognize our brokenness. We recognize that we need a Savior. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to our Sunday podcast. To hear more messages like these, be sure to share and subscribe. We're thankful for all that God is doing in our church right now. We would love to have you be a part of what is going on. You can connect with us by filling out a connect card online at slatechurch.com. And hey, stay tuned for more content coming soon.